You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. WebmasterRadio.fm. Take your hat off, kick your feet up, and log into the feed. We're here for you 24-7. Welcome to Webcology. Webcology is the show that takes you into the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the Internet. Our guides will take you on a journey into web marketing and bring you the experts and the information so that you can further explore the web marketing world. Now... Here are the hosts of Webcology, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey everyone, welcome to Webcology on webmasterradio.fm. It is Thursday, September the 13th, 2018. Uh, September's halfway over, just about almost. And um, uh, Crazy Town has come to the, has come to the search world. Um, I don't know how else to say it, Dave. Like, 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 um, uh, we try to avoid politics on this show. We might have to talk about the FCC once in a while because of net neutrality and the way that it might impact webmasters and stuff. But we, you can't let this go past because it would be wrong to. The president of the United States is suggesting that Google search results are biased against him and he wants something done about it. Like, mm-hmm. like, 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 and bang my, bang my head with the cell phone battery here because I don't know what else to do. Like, oh my god. Okay, so let's try to unpack this little piece by little piece by little piece. Um, Donald Trump is is suggesting, and 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 he's getting support from Republicans that Google has a left wing bias in its algorithmic search results. Um. Dave, you're much more neutral about American politics than I am. Um, so you're probably a better person to answer this question, is it? Because <laughs> you know, I mean, in 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 not to to come to the defense. The short answer. Let me just preface. The short answer is no. Um, you know, they, we we've hit a spot where. <sighs> It's easy to believe a simple answer to a complex problem when it would be a lot of hard work to understand the actual answer, right? Like understanding, even for, let's say you, me, probably everybody listening right now has spent 
years and years unsuccessfully trying to understand Google's algorithm, right? That's our job. Oh, don't do that to my brain. Oh, no. I know where you're um, going. Go, go. Oh, <laughs> and and so it, it lends to this, you know, sort of mystery of this thing. So to give a simplistic answer and go, it's biased against us. And we all know these, you know, bleeding hearts out in California, right? You go with that that stand and it's really easy to 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 believe. So that's that's where this roots in. Is it actually uh, biased? The short answer, as I said, in, in my opinion, right, I, I try and say kind of neutral on this stuff, but I have to have my opinions. I have to have my biases. And you have, um, no, hold it. You have to have an expert opinion because you're actually an expert in this. <laughs> I like to think so. Um, the, the short answer is no, certainly not intentional. Now, can you say that, you know, things go under manual review anytime? And this has come up a few times is as soon as you have these yeah, things, so that are being reviewed, are you rarely. It, it is. Oh, no, I mean, sorry, I mean the actual reviewers, right? The reviewers assigned the search quality guidelines reviewers, but right? so looking at something. Incredibly rarely. And, and then search quality viewers themselves don't directly impact search results. The only way that Google thinks about search results. Absolutely. Um, but I know it has come up, and it's a rightful question, um, is are they, is there an introduction of bias in some way? I would say certainly, yeah. I mean, anytime an engineer writes something, there's going to be an introduction of their personal bias in it, right? Like, regardless of, of the way it goes. However, what and, and to be clear, um, what we're talking about here is the skewing, of, or what they're talking about is a massive skewing of an entire algorithm to favor one type over another. Not a, a minor bias that was accidentally written into an alg some algorithmic code. They're, they're talking about a, a specific and systemic attack on, on sort of a, a, a democratic selection of, of search results. Um, and, and to that, clearly, the, the short answer is no. Is there some mild bias introduced by an engineer who happened to favor certain things? Yeah, I think that's just naturally going to happen. Could I find it in the code? No, right? But okay. to, I'm also uh, an expert in such things. It yeah. so happened. <laughs> I don't think it's possible for a uh, Google engineer to enter bias into um, an algorithm Without under, without knowing ahead of time what that algorithm might be seeing, facing, or or parsing, um, Google's algorithms were written long before any web page. Or Google's core algorithms was written long before Trump decided to run for president in the first place. Um, any subsequent um, update to the algorithm is created without a political thought whatsoever. They're not looking at the sites themselves they're looking at the effects of information and the taxonomy of information mm -hmm. um like like if, if if you're talking about engineers writing for bias the only possible bias an engineer could write for and and know ahead of time for without specifically saying screw republicans is bad code and democrats can write bad code libertarians can write bad po code Green Party members can write bad code, and uh, Republicans can, of course, write bad code. Anybody can. But there's no possible conceivable way to write political bias into an algorithm that is constantly changing and updating itself through artificial intelligence. It's, it's inconceivable to – and I don't mean that in the Princess Bride sort of way.
Like, it's not, it's, it, it, it defies any sense of logic. Here's what I think is happening. I think Mr. Trump is accusing Google of bias because he's got control over social media. Yeah. He, he, he gets his message out on Facebook. He gets his message out on Twitter. But he can't control algorithms. He can control public perception. On Facebook, Trump's followers see pro stuff, pro Trump stuff. That's all they see. So as far as they're concerned, Facebook works fine. Twitter has bought upon bought upon bot supporting Trump, and for the most part, his message is like completely unimpeded or, or even filtered by responsible interpretation. Google, on the other hand, gives out a mix of results: some pro, some anti. I bet though, like, like you know, even on a computer that 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 is used predominantly by himself, he still gives more anti information than pro information, because for the most part. He's um, done some great, you know, there's more negative press than pro-press out there about him. That's just the way it is. And that's not Google's fault. Google didn't doesn't write all those articles yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> they will one day, but they don't yet. Um, and they didn't do that. And so what he's trying to do, he's trying to make people doubt the veracity of information itself. Rather than fight the message, he's fighting the messenger. And that way you don't believe anything the messenger tells you. Even if the messenger wasn't lying in the first place. That's fascism 201. It scares the Jesus out of me. Yeah, well, of course it does. Um, and I will, I will leave that at that. Let, let's... That's I'm looking. I'm like, okay. Now you you'd send one across, and it seems like a, a decent enough segue uh, because we're we're dealing at uh, Google looking for ways to handle sites blocking searchers over GDPR. Okay, yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> um, and again, and a problem that I don't think Google itself created. Um, oh yeah, what do you what do you think? Like, it's a, Google's right. It's a terrible uh, user experience, but at the same time, the EU has passed a privacy law that says, um, you know, you 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 must if you can't comply with, um, we're not going to serve you the data. Yeah, yeah, I, I I I don't even know how to feel about this, other than one of those like, yeah, of course, like where there's nobody to blame, but the the end product is not good, right? Like both. The, the, well, you know, the, the EU did what the EU did. Yeah, but the EU are elected officials. These, this is another example of people who don't fully understand the environment trying to. And I, I understand why they're making rules uh, gov governing people's privacy. Hell, we should have had these rules at the very beginning of the internet, but we didn't. Nobody, you know, conceived of them, right? Right. Um. But 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 the. The severity of these rules, like you know, limits the 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 the, the function of the internet as it's evolved. So it, it seems to me like there is someone to blame, and that that someone is people who didn't learn how the internet worked before legislating on it. Sorry. Well, I'm, now you now you bring up some some interesting <laughs> points there, and I mean, of course, we can carry that one. To you the know, next story. infinitely far because I mean, I and I could counter if we went back to, I don't know, let's. Let's go back to 2002. I don't know. I'm picturing myself sure. like at, a, at an okay. era where I was standing on decks with you, ch chatting about stuff, and we came up with internet privacy laws at the time. You and I sitting there, we kind of understood the internet. You know, I wasn't a 
TCPIP kind of person, but you know, I mean, I understood what it did. Um, you know, so we come up with the rules. Anything that we would have built then to deal with what we're actually dealing with now would have looked a lot like what they're doing to deal with what's coming 10 years from now. Right? Like, <laughs> they're, they're having to build a set of rules for the future. Now, I mean, you know, we can agree or disagree on them, and I, I disagree with a lot of them, and I agree with a lot of them. But I do feel for them because the rules you would have to come up with to deal with the future are going to look like fascism today. Or, or like overkill, if, if not fascism, look like overkill today because you're dealing with something you don't know that's coming down the road. Um, and I'll give GDPR started some interesting conversations, and there is some tracking in there I didn't even know was going on, and I know better than that. <laughs> so, um, you know, there's they, it, it is interesting, but you're right. Fundamentally, we can talk about Ted Stevens, we can talk about Donald Trump, we can talk about a bunch of legislatures or, or legislative, you know, folks over at the at the EU. Yeah. Why don't we hire some professionals to help guide these rules? Yeah, and I'd like to agree with you on on, on on one essential point. The fact that they screwed it up doesn't mean that their intentions weren't actually good. You know, like most legislators don't make uh, laws over things like personal privacy without the intention of actually trying to help people to do good, right? Like, but um, uh, 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 the effect of it is you know to to limit um to limit uh, 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 conversation or comments um social media has to be extremely careful what gets printed now um um and and also this pertains to this uh, these kind of things uh, pertain to another story we have coming up next the G, uh the uh, uh, more euro blues um uh, you have to like completely demonstrate and nobody ever reads this stuff anyway. It's like, it's like another terms of service that nobody reads, but exactly what happens to people's private information and allow them to click off and, 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 and consent to that. Mm -hmm. um, the amount of work to go into um, GDPR compliance is extraordinary. And, you know, I guess a, a number of cash-strapped newspapers in America um, don't, want to, don't want to or can't or won't um, in, in, invest the effort in doing that. And now... That's a big chunk of news that Europeans don't get about about uh, the 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 American scene. Yeah, which some Europeans might actually be, be kind of grateful for. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is true. I mean, you end up being like, oh, okay, well, or should they be reading their own take on on our you know on, on what's going on over here? Um, Could you imagine how funny that would be? Like, honestly, um, the headline is "I roll." <laughs> Head desk. You know, it'd be like reading Fark full time. Yes. Um, all right. Where shall we go next? We've had. I mean, there's well, just we so actually, much. We have to stay on the Euro Blues. I'm afraid. Did you hear about oh. the new EU ruling on links that just came down in the last uh, the last 24 hours? Oh no, I did not. Okay, you're gonna love this. <laughs> This is part of copyright legislation that the EU has uh, pushed through. And um, again, this is regulations by people who don't fully understand the implications of the regulations they're making. Two things directly affect North American webmasters, European webmasters, webmasters everywhere. But um, number one, 
It's called Article 11. It's otherwise known as a link tax. And this is going to force anyone who's using little bits of a journalistic uh, article, online content, or whatever, you know, you'll have to get licensed from the publisher first, which um, means if you're like a news aggregator or even a news distribution app, you're going to have to get sign-on for every piece of uh, every link to uh, uh, copyrighted material. Um that a publisher might publish online. So if you're an aggregator of news and you want to have like um, the Times of London or um, uh, uh, I don't know, um, uh, Der Spiegel or some other European newspaper content from it, you'd have to get a license for every piece of content that you were aggregating automatically out to your audience. Business model just got crushed. Yeah. Um, same with, say, with news apps. Um, if you hear um, you're in Victoria and you're uh, writing a, a piece for, for, for your blog or for one of, the, one of the journals, Dave, and you want to link to something that you saw in a European newspaper, you just bro- and you do it, and then they go ahead and publish it, you've just broke the law. You didn't get licensed first. So that's a problem. <laughs> um, how that's going to get worked out, I don't know. I mean, there, 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 there may well be a uh, interlocutory license just sort of granted over everything, um, some interlocutory licensing scheme. But I, I don't know, right? That just came down today. The Article Thirteen is the even heavier one, though. Article Thirteen makes platforms like Facebook, WordPress, um, uh, Twitter, um, you know, uh, Bebo, what have you, uh, some publishing platform responsible for what users your blog responsible for what users put on it. So if somebody wants to make a, co- a copyright infringement and comment on your blog, you're responsible for it. You and Beanstalk Incorporated. And uh, that means you've got to police everything all the time or just turn comments off, thus limiting a function of the web. So what if you want to use, what about parody? Satire, protest videos, all of that stuff? Um... You, the maker, can get can get burned on copyright infringement, but more importantly, the platform you published it on can get burned on copyright infringement. You know those baby videos singing along to uh, to like Motown? Mm-hmm. That's illegal. So anyway, mm-hmm. and, okay, so so the platform can get burned for it. Before, mm-hmm. right now, and under um. Digital Millennium Copyright Act of, uh, was it, uh, uh, 94? The platform mm-hmm. in America is protected. And that was sort of like overarching law around the world. At least nobody other, had other laws around that that I'm aware of. Right. Now the EU does. So that's a bummer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, all I can think of is like there's just so many ways to just wreck it. Um, and, and I suspect we're going to see a, cause, cause we've seen this in the past from, from the, the folks in the EU where you have publishers and they're claiming they really, really want one thing. Um, and then they get it um, <laughs> and, and, and then they go, Oh crap. Um, you know, it right happened that. with news, right? All of them were like, no, you can't be taking our news. Up. And then Google just went, all right, well, then we're just not going to put you in our news feed, right? Because they were insisting on being paid to be included in news. <laughs> and and they're, they're all like, like all right, well, we're just yanking you out. And yeah, shortly after that, I was like, yeah, wait, wait, we need to reverse that. Well, links matter for rankings, 
right? I mean, you know this, I know that. I mean, we can talk about their weight, but they're in there. Um, and so I'm not going to link to European sites. They're going to be very hesitant to link among themselves. What do you suppose is going to happen to their traffic over time? Well, it, <laughs> like, this doesn't end well for them. Um, and, and so it's 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 sort of a... If I was Google, I just for fun, and we were talking about, you know, okay, this would prove Trump right, but I kind of amp up how much link value <laughs> or how much, like, new links value more starting on this date, right? Yeah. And just like, all right, let's let this play itself out, and, and they'll come to us going, we've lost 80%, and then they'll complain about that. Google's lost us 80%. No, you lost yourself 80% by taking away your links. <laughs> like... Anyway, that's that's just my right. I don't see this one lasting too too long because it is gonna it, it, it's gonna shoot them. Okay, Facebook's now got to come up with ways of going. All right, you know what? We're just gonna trim anything that's heading into the the EU, like a, to an IP in the EU that links to there. All right, we just need to strip everything out and we can just put the URL in, right? Like just as a URL. Like they're gonna have to do stuff like that. What do you suppose is gonna happen to their traffic? I'm not clicking I'm not copying and pasting that's going to take half a second of my life I'm a busy man <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, you know I mean, there's so many ways that just the only reaction is to hurt the people that are pretending to be protected right now I, I this is not going to end well for them and I have a feeling they'll be they'll be tapping out on the mat here and you know we'll probably be talking about it next week okay well they have just to, 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 to the EU Parliament, you have about two minutes before we come back, um, and it'd be really cool. Well, like like while we're not looking, you just you know put the rights back on the table, walk <laughs> away. No one's gonna ask you any questions, okay? But we're gonna be back on Web College in about two minutes after these messages. Stay tuned. Back in a sec. Blog, blog, blog. What? Sit tight and don't move. Webcology will be back after this short break. It's time once again to get ready for the 35th Annual Miami Book Fair, November 11th to the 18th. Learn more at MiamiBookFair.com. Over 500 authors will be coming in from all over the world to read their books, answer questions from the audience, and sign autographs. Award-winning luminaries confirmed to attend this year include novelists like Elliot Ackerman, Robert Olin Butler, Ingrid Rojas Contreras, and Deborah Dean. Nonfiction writers like Dr. Mark Agronin, Mohammed Al-Samwawi, Andrea Barnett, and Tina Brown. Celebrities like Justine Bateman, Steve Kornacki, Bill Press. These are just a few of the confirmed 500 authors scheduled to appear at the 2018 Miami Book Fair. November November 11th to the 18th. Check out the full schedule of events right now at MiamiBookFair.com. That's MiamiBookFair.com. Are you looking for the best in WordPress speed, security, and scalability? WP Engine is a digital experience platform for WordPress, powering digital experiences for large brands around the world. With easy-to-use site management tools and powerful do-it-your-way development features, WP Engine gives you the flexibility to build it your way. Improve your SEO and conversion rates with a faster site on WP Engine. Learn more on WPEngine.com. 
Ready to do a podcast for your business? Make that podcast elevate to enterprise level. Let WebmasterRadio.fm expedite and execute your podcast to build your brand and broaden your customer base. WebmasterRadio.fm has worked with the world's biggest tech brands, Google, Yahoo, and Bing, and have worked with fast-growing brands like ShipStation and GoDaddy. Now it's your turn. Contact B-R-A-S-C-O at WMR.fm and rush your enterprise-level podcast into production at a very reasonable rate. Email B-R-A-S-C-O at WMR.fm. Commercials off. Now back to Webcology, only on webmasterradio.fm. Here are the hosts, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Webcology here on webmasterradio.fm. It's the uh, 13th of September, 2018. This is Jim Hedger from Digital Waste Media and Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing. And... Uh, yeah, sorry about the weirdness of the first segment, legislation and presidents who don't know what they're talking about, and legislators who don't know what they're talking about, and show hosts who don't know what they're talking about. I mean, hell, that was a cluster. <laughs> um, I mean, seriously, Dave, it's like we worked so hard to create this beautiful, imperfect, but like beautiful anarchic machine, and these dust but these dust brains come along and just trash the joint. Okay, what have we got next? Google's new responsive display. What's that all about? Responsive display. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is kind of cool. They're making so lots and lots and lots of changes here in uh, in paid search. Go figure, right? Like, of course they are. This is I don't blame them. This is where they're, this is where they make their money. This whole organic thing is. You know, but this like, is actually really interesting. Like, what the this, like? This is gonna make this gonna make the SERPs change and look cool. It's gonna look really cool. I think it's gonna be really, really, really advantageous for advertisers. So, for folks who don't know what we're talking about here, responsive uh, new responsive display ads. Um, if you're and and many paid search people in in the crowd right now, I'll be like, oh my goodness, there's another thing. I'll be honest, I'm not even through all of our clients yet in moving them. Uh, and changing the expanded text ads, like now that we've got three headlines, two descriptions, we're still working on that right now, that transition, and and, and testing out some responsive um, text ads. But now they're rolling out responsive display ads that are letting you put 15 images, five headlines, basically same sort of idea um, that we had. You can you can pick different landing pages, and it'll basically run these tests using machine learning, just like they are with the uh, responsive text ads and come up with the best combinations that work. So you can now just sort of dump in a bunch of images, you can dump in a bunch of different headlines, and then it'll figure itself out and figure out which ones work best. It seems to be doing a pretty darn good job. Um, one thing I will note for for our, our, our listeners here, I got super excited the first time I was running a responsive text ad, I suspect, um, that, that I'm going to find the same thing in the responsive display ads. I got super excited. I'm like, okay, I'm going to jump in 15 headlines. Okay, I'm going to jump in like at five different descriptions. I, I was doing all sorts of, I was sort of maxing out everything I could or, or putting in a bunch of stuff. Here's the problem with that approach is, and, and I found it and I, I'm no longer doing it with, with any of the ads that we're building. Um, 
if you don't have a massive, massive amount of traffic, if you're not getting thousands upon thousands of impressions a day and you know, preferably hundreds of clicks a day into any specific ad group, it's going to take so long to figure out which combinations work that it renders the entire thing kind of useless. We have the, like our, our expanded text ads were still so far ahead of these responsive ads just because I had put too much in. I started one two days ago for a different client with just five headlines, three descriptions that were all fundamentally different. And then I could start to refine them. Once I figured out what worked there, we're already getting more conclusive data than we did after weeks. Um, running one with, with too many, too many uh, permutations. So just for our listeners, unless you have a massive amount of traffic into your ad groups, um, you know, maybe keep yourself limited. They're giving you 15 images. You don't have to use 15 images. Maybe pick five that are fundamentally different. You know, drop them in there. Pick a few good headline options. Drop them in there. Figure out what sorts of things work and then start to refine from there. That, that's just my advice. If you're getting a lot of traffic, though, you could ignore me and, and just max it all out because you'll, you'll, you'll get your data out of that. Now, whenever I um, do A-B testing or um, I, remember, I remember back in the days when uh, uh, display and search were still sort of, uh, sort of in, the same, in the same ballpark, mm-hmm. um, I would be asked to do A-B's, A-B-C testing of like display ads and stuff. And the num- the numbers you get from ABC ABC testing obviously those are the ones you go with right but you you always make your side bets right like you're like you know I I think I think option B is going to be the one that performs best mm-hmm. to my shame inevitably I would well not inevitably but way more often than not I was proven wrong by the actual data you know I thought that option B would be good but as it turns out option A was the one that that people responded to most how many surprises are you finding under under the uh, the, the the new tests um. I'm not overly surprised, but it's making it, once I see the results, they make perfect sense. But I'm able to test things way more easily because I'm not, like if you think of, I've got five different headlines, three different descriptions. I mean, that's, that's you know, a pretty simple, low level test in this responsive text ads. But you think of all of the different permutations of order. Um, and, and combinations that are possible out of that. And now all of a sudden I'm running massive tests, right? I mean, if you just think of every different permutation that, that can come from, from even that limited number. So yeah, I, I am, you do start to see some sort of like, okay, didn't see that headline with, you know, that description. Like obviously this description gets favored, right? And you all of a sudden see one of the descriptions just tearing off. Um, in the impressions or one or two headlines. And it's like, okay, that's interesting. I wouldn't have predicted that these headlines with this description necessarily would go. Um, you know, and, and one of the reasons I saw that and one that we, and this is too early for me to tell, so don't, you know, none of our listeners run with this as, as, as proof of concept here or anything. Um, but one of the things that surprised me out of a test that I'm running that's only two days old, again, do not run with this, folks. Um, but the, the headlines and description that seem to be winning are fundamentally different. Mm-hmm. But it appears that they're sort of smushing them together. And it's like, oh, okay, well, they're actually different sort of sales pitches. They're, they're, they're different sets of information. Normally, my instinct has been keep the messaging kind of consistent. Um, it doesn't appear to be playing out that way. Now, once I pull my data and I start to see what's working there, my plan is, and I'll, I'll keep people updated as to whether this works or not, is to move those into an expanded text ad 
and then test it as a, a solid, right? Like, do I actually understand what structure is working here? If it does, then launch some more responsive ads um, with a bunch of permutations and variables on that, on that sort of set. So that's the angle we're going. Now, one of the things that I haven't had a chance to look into yet, so I'll, I'll let folks know next week, or, or if anybody wants to send a, a tweet out, um, you know, you can just sort of tag, um, you know, uh, Webmaster Radio, um, is can I, and this is a question, and I can figure this out, but maybe I'll figure it out on, on commercial break, but one of the things that excited me, but I haven't had a chance to test is, we have 15 images. Let's say we have, you know, we're gonna dump our 15 images in there. Is there a way for me to send that signal across, you, you know, add a, add a tracking parameter or something like that, based on what image is selected, pass that across to my landing page and make that the image for my, like, you know, hero image or something, right? Like, can I carry that over from a variable? standpoint and go, okay, I want my images to match when they get there. You know what, actually, I'm saying it now, I'm going to do it. I'm going to look this up on break. But if anybody knows offhand, just fire off a tweet, because I'll check there, too, at just Webmaster okay. Radio. <laughs> we get more work done, this, we get more experiments done this way. Actually, wouldn't that be, that'd be kind of cool? I, anybody, five bucks. And we'll <laughs> get, like, the biggest test code, biggest test group you can think of? Absolutely. <laughs> Maybe we should charge more than five bucks, eh? We maybe should actually this this actually brings you to an interesting thing and you and I can can actually test this and we'll test this on the air one time because we've got a very large grouping spread across the world. I was at a MozCon with a, a very interesting test and Ran Fishkin did that while he was on stage. He was like, Okay, everybody look up this restaurant or look up restaurant mm -hmm. Seattle. Um and then click everybody click on this result and then stay there for a bit. <laughs> so so all of a sudden there were like, yeah, and sure enough, this thing, we watched it happen. It was number six and then it was number one. That was just, that just happened, right? And, and the computer doing it didn't click it, right? Like <laughs> ran, didn't click it. And there it was, it was number one all of a sudden. Then it went back to normal. Um, so it'd be interesting because we've got a large grouping go, can you do that on mass? We've got a large grouping on a, a you know, sort of spread out over, over a larger area. It wasn't a, wasn't a local listing. Um, one thing that was funny, I felt sorry and, and Rand had to go and apologize. Uh, was that site server was not built to deal with us. <laughs> so, so we brought the site down because all of us were piling in on this this site, you know, all at once, and it wasn't built for us to be there <laughs> at the same time. So we crashed their server, but there we go. Anyway, um, that's nothing that that's nothing that treating like forty or fifty of your best friends to lunch can't fix. <laughs> no, indeed. And, uh, you know, it was one of their favorites, so I'm sure they reward them. You know, the folks at Moz re reward them properly. Yeah. Okay, where to next? It was a it was a weird week in search. Like, a monumentous week in history, but a weird week in search. Um, yeah. What do you got? Uh, where do you want to go? I, I'll, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I brought up last three. This, this Jeremy's piece. Uh uh, 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 three valuable lessons you can learn from the Nike controversy. Why there was a Nike controversy in the first place still mystifies me, but um, yeah. Um, there's uh, Google telling you to check into the quality rater guidelines to you know learn what good content is. Mm -hmm. You could just go to school. Um, <laughs> but I guess, I, guess, I guess that takes a lot longer than reading the quality guidelines. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, do that instead. It's faster. Um, I don't know. I like Jeremy's piece a lot because um, um, I don't know. Probably because it takes guts to write about a controversy. Um, it doesn't. You know what? That's the one I was thinking of going to before we had to break. So let's let's 
let's tackle it. I'm uh, naturally, you know, I'm 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 I'm, I'm very happy that, that that Nike went ahead with this. Um, I'm a supporter of of, of Kaepernick taking his uh, taking his uh, his kneel, um, mm-hmm. or at least his right to. Um, whether whether I support um, the kneel or not, which I personally do, is irrelevant. That he has a right to is relevant to me. Right. Um, and uh, Nike has what was it, thirty three million extra reasons or extra dollars to uh, to justify <laughs> their decision. Yeah, that went that went pretty well for them. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, I, it was a really, really good piece with some some great lessons. And yeah, this this turned out really well for Nike. And and we'll you know setting aside as he did in the piece when you know what I'm not going to say where I land on this one way or the other. Um, and he properly points out in the piece, he's like, there's no point because everybody's decided already. And it is true; it's a very dividing issue. You either agree or you don't. That's it. Right? Like, there's no. I'm going to pull you to my side. No, this is you agree you don't for the most part. So he, he brought up that, that interesting point. But regardless of where you stand, there are things to know. And, and I love his number one is know who your audience is. I mean, and, and all of us need to do that. I saw some other writings on, on the same issue going, yeah, here's where this is sort of that line where they stopped marketing to the, you know, their audience for the past 30 years and they're now marketing to their audience for the next 30 years, right? Like, yeah. this is just, it's a different audience and that's what they're doing. Whether you agree with them or not, if you're a shareholder, you may disagree with them, but you better like this call. <laughs> and you probably do because it's, it's rewarded them very, very well. Um, and, and will continue to do so as it, as it continues to resonate with their, with their current audience. But I think that's an incredibly valuable point. This isn't up to you to make a decision um, you know, on, on your own, when we're talking large brands here. I mean, you can on your own personal brand because that's what you do personally. You'll take stands on things and you win or lose based on it. That's, that's fine. I'm sure there's people at Nike who don't support it, you know, what, what, what Colin's doing. But you bite your tongue, you get it done because your shareholders thank you, right? Like that's what you got to do. And you need to know who your audience is. Um, and, and I, I think that's number one And Nike, Nike really, really nailed that one. Um, you know, I love his number two controversy creates passion, right? Well, like people I, were burning their shoes. <laughs> I know. This is one thing I find truly, truly interesting. The stockholders, if they, you know, were, were really smart, um, Nike stock initially went down. After this, after the uh, first commercial move was released, mm-hmm. Nike sales increased substantially, but their stock share, their their share price went down, which meant that some of the offenders, or some of the I'm sorry, some of the investors, were emotionally offended by the by the the, the commercial, and right. emotionally they decided to sell, just like the people who decided to burn their fairly expensive Nike gear. Right wingers don't understand boycotts. <laughs> It's like their understanding of tariffs. It's all backwards. Um, <laughs> just don't get it. It's easy, but they just... Anyway, I, I digress. Um, controversy creates passion. Um, it increased sales substantially, especially among the people who wanted to be identified with this message. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, message of, of, of equality and non-exclusion and, and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, people wanted, wanted to feel part of that message. People who didn't want to feel part of that message, well, they weren't buying. They probably weren't buying those shoes in the first place. And those who were involved with Nike, they de-invested 
but I'm as you know as, as we know that Nike shares have risen above where they were when the when the uh, uh, commercials were first put out. So that protest fizzled. Um, but one thing that is happening is people are talking about it. Um, and uh, I, so I see kids in Toronto walking around, like, completely showing off that swoosh. That's a big thing to be seen with now. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, to his point, <laughs> as, as Jeremy's pointing out in, in the article, are you scared of that one person who now hates you? Because like, he's saying, he's like, limit yourself just to your target audience. The, limit your thought. You're looking at who likes you, who hates you. Limit every decision you're making only to your target audience because they're the only ones that matter, right? When you're a business, like that's when you make business decisions, the only people that matter isn't the world as a whole. What matters is your target audience. Okay, we're just talking about marketing decisions here. Um, and what he's saying is, you know, or, or had brought up and, and quite accurately is, if one of your people hates you, and a thousand love you based on a marketing decision, that's a win. If you keep catering to the one out of fear, it goes sideways. Yeah. I think that was a great call in his part and a great reminder. If you're, a, if you're too pragmatic, if you're too protected um, with your brand, and you need to protect your brand, don't get me wrong, this isn't me saying, go out, do whatever you want. Um, you know, but if you're intelligent about it, you understand your audience, you understand your percentages of your audience that it'll be a win and loss on, or at least have a very, very good idea um, and you're making the proper calculated decisions, um, as he's pointing out, yeah, people are going to hate you. And in fact, that's going to be necessary to create the controversy to make you and I talk about it on our podcast. <laughs> so it, it's worked for Nike's getting free advertising right now. They did in, in, you know, search engine journal, right? Like they're getting free advertising all over the place. If there wasn't that 1% that hated them, it would have been a non-issue. We wouldn't be talking about it. If people weren't burning shoes, we wouldn't be talking about it. Right? Oh, it would just be like, oh, that was a good move. You know, nice, fantastic. We'd pat them on the back and off we'd go. Well, which so. brings us to, to, to Jeremy's point three. Um, think strategically for long-term outcome. Uh, Nike produced this. You know, you know that Nike had uh, Colin Kaepernick on, on contract for, uh, for a couple of years? <laughs> I didn't yeah, until they, I read this article. Yeah, they hadn't utilized him, but he was he – was, basically sitting on their bench ready to play um and they kept him on the bench and uh, uh they kept him on the team they didn't they didn't fire him they didn't they didn't they didn't uh release him from 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 a contract they'd signed with him they waited until it was a strategic a strategic time to use his image and his issue and again looking ahead um more than the next quarter looking ahead like you know four to eight to 12 to uh 60 quarters into the future you know, five years into the future, um, Nike has allied itself and a fairly large customer base with an idea that's very likely to stand the test of time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this will be that thing that, that um, you know, people remember. And one of the interesting things about um, sort of brand identity, I mean, even even I have it and I like to think I don't, but, but I certainly do. Um, you know, when it comes to my, like walking around, you know, just kicking around running shoes, it's Adidas. When it comes to my running, running shoes, it's Brooks. Right. And, and, and in part, that's just because I know them as comfortable with Adidas. I just like them because, you know, that goes back. It goes back to run DMC, right? <laughs> it goes back. I've been wearing Adidas since like high school, um, oh, because run DMC did. And I got that brand identity then I liked them. I mean, I, you know, I don't think it sort of 
bits. You're not like, hey, Dave, he loves Run DMC. But, you know, I did, and there we go. Um, and Brooks, I found them comfortable. And this one made me go, oh, I could. And whether it was to Nike or, or anything else, I was like, oh, yeah, I should actually, it got me thinking. I went, oh, I should actually think about looking at, you know, go into the running room, find some, you know, new shoes. Are these still the best ones? And, and question my brand loyalty there. Um, now, whether I would go to Nike or not, you know, who knows? It depends. I, I actually just want the most comfortable shoes. I'm not a, you know, I, I just want to pick the most comfortable thing to, to run in. But <laughs> but it, it even made me question that to a brand that I've been loyal to for years of running. Um, so, and, and whether I switch to them or not, it, it's a win for them because it got me questioning things. So it's, it's a weird, weird thing they've, they've managed to accomplish. Uh, but I'm still going to keep my Adidas from walking around in, uh, on the street. <laughs> Very cool. Okay. <laughs> we should probably grab a break now. We're going to come back with about 10 to 10 to 12 minutes left in the show. So on behalf of Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing, this is your manager in digital Always media. You are listening to uh, Webcology on webmasterradio.fm. Uh, this is the 9th, the 13th of uh, September, 2018. Back after these messages. Sit tight and don't move. Webcology will be back after this short break. Radio's Virtual Autobahn. WebmasterRadio.fm There are over 70 million active podcast listeners in the U.S. WebmasterRadio.fm reaches them all with the largest global distribution of any online business-to-business podcast network through iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, and the WebmasterRadio.fm mobile app, we can target and place your message in front of those active listeners immediately. Now, your message can be delivered with less commitment and investment on over 20 hours of weekly original content hosted by the most respected names in digital marketing. Thanks to an exclusive private offer available for a very limited number of companies. But you must act fast. Email brasco at wmr.fm and get your message delivered now. The Web Marketing Association is now accepting entries for its 7th Annual International Mobile Web Award Competition. This award program is an opportunity for mobile developers to demonstrate their expertise in this growing medium. It recognizes the individual and team achievements of web professionals all over the world who create and maintain outstanding responsive and mobile websites and mobile applications. Deadline for entry is September 28, 2018. Submit your entry today at www.mobile-webaward.org. That's mobile-webaward.org. Warning! Listening to webmasterradio.fm daily may cause webmaster insomnia and an increase in your company's profits. Webmasterradio.fm. Stay up with us all night long. Webmasterradio.fm. We're everywhere. Commercials off. Now back to Webcology, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Here are the hosts, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Webcology on WebmasterRadio.fm. This is uh, Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media, Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing, and... I got a fun one. I just found in uh, Search Engine Roundtable. We don't... Um, sorry, Dave. I'm sort of slipping this one in on you right by surprise. 
we didn't have this in our newsfeed ahead of time. It's cool. You're an expert. <laughs> um, there's a couple lines in this article, though, that I think are worth reading to the audience, and I, I, I'm kind of I kind of want to see what you make of them. Okay, so in a SEO roundtable or SE roundtable uh, uh, yesterday, uh, Barry published an article. Um, John Mueller suggesting that. Webmasters should try to get a few pages in their website that will be um, downloaded by Google or crawled by Google in less than 100 milliseconds. That's a cool challenge. That's a challenge everybody should do anyway, right? Yeah. Fast is good. And 100 milliseconds, like, seriously, that's a challenge. So here's the, here's the, here's the sense. Okay, no, 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 no. Just, just for, uh, for comparison, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm some websites, uh, according to John Mueller, he sees some that have some come down in fewer than 100 milliseconds, but many take more than 1,000 milliseconds. Simple math says it takes Google 10 times longer to crawl that page than it does for uh, one that's 100 milliseconds, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So on Twitter, John Mueller said, and again, I'm quoting from uh, Barry Schwartz's quote of John Mueller. We don't have any hard guidelines on this, but anecdotally, I see sites with a few hundred millisecond time, time to fetch resources, some with less than 100 milliseconds, and other sites with way over 1,000 milliseconds. Here, here's the part, okay? Mm -hmm. Faster usually lets us crawl more, should we need it. Crawling is just a small piece of the picture, though, he added. Now, it's not about rendering, okay? Rendering is one thing. Rendering is how fast it takes the, the page to sort of like, a, like appear on screen and then be glanced at. Crawling is how fast it takes to go through all the information that, that's contained on the page. Faster usually lets us crawl more should we need it, but crawling is just a small piece of the picture. Crawl speed. Uh, my, I, I'm suggesting that, that John said straight out crawl speed is part of the algorithm. What do you think? Am I going to go on a list or what? He, I mean, like, I'm just, I'm just telling you exactly how he said. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. I mean, you know, and you and I hit this all the time. And you can probably tell from that delay. I'm like, okay, there's what they say, and then there's what. <laughs> well, yeah, okay, but did he say what I think I'm reading him saying? Like, is like, indirectly, like, I think he is. I think what he's saying is. If I'm taking this, and you just threw this at me, thanks. Oh, sorry, yeah, dude. Uh, <laughs> what I'm understanding, what he's saying is right, and I believe it is. Um, what he's saying to, to me, anyway, is the the faster we can sort of crawl it like this, you know, if you can keep it under a few hundred milliseconds, um, then we can crawl more pages. Crawling is not the same as ranking, right? Like <laughs> now I think where we may hit a slight difference and you actually brought it up. And I think the part that would impact ranking isn't how fast, um, you know, sort of it can be crawled. It's how fast it can be rendered. Right? And that's just me. That's just my, my take. If I was Google, um, you know, I'd be looking more at, the render time of page to assist in its rankings because that's what a user is going to experience, right? Like that's how long it takes to, to actually get this page, um, you know, displaying on a device. So, you know, that's just me and, and do both of them play their part? Yeah. Is having a faster, you know, a, a more easily crawled and indexed, um, site 
you know, is that helpful? You know, well, yeah. Again, here's how he says this. Faster usually lets us crawl more should we need it. So we're talking crawl budget here. Yeah. Right? Like, I don't, I don't, know, what else, I don't know what else he could possibly mean. And then brackets, crawling is just a small piece of the picture, though. So, site uh, crawl budget, yeah. Um, if the should the faster lets us crawl more, we're only going to crawl so much in a certain amount of time. Should we need it? Uh, it's just a small piece of the picture. Well, okay, so it's a piece of the picture. Right. I I, I see where you're going. Um, I want you know, to in believe. In the absence of clarification, <laughs> um, you know what are you kind of saying, right? Like is is what it's like. If you're saying this isn't, it, it's sort of confirming by exclusion right sort of sort of thing by saying it's a small piece you are implying it is a piece right if you say anchor text has low weight yeah okay well then it has weight <laughs> it then it does um i want to believe dave i want to believe. i want to believe um i know it's funny it's reminding me of back uh, we did a show it, it was the alternatives at the time like that's how long ago a show wow. on the book here um so we're going back probably about a decade um and i remember running some tests on some no follow links so it's right after they'd come out and i pointed them to a page all no follow links to see if that page would rank for a specific set it of anchor did. text that wasn't used on that page it did yeah um so it was one of those yes it does it's it's very low but yes it confirmed that it did pass not just weight but also anchor text um relevance and it was funny i believe it was aaron wall i may be wrong um, but I believe it was Aaron who was just a total pain in the butt um, and had immediately, before we were even off, uh, published a blog post saying, I said link spam works in large amounts. <laughs> and he sent it to me just to be a jerk. I mean, I love him. I got, I'm not actually mean he's a jerk for anybody listening. Aaron's a great guy. Um, but I, I did but. find out. I'm like, that's not what I said. And he did clarify in the, in the thing what had happened and that I didn't actually say that. But I was like, oh, really? That's the, that's the takeaway. I was just running a test I was interested in. I'm not saying to go out and link spam with no follow, you know, forum links or something. Um, anyway, so there we are. Okay, um, we got about three minutes left. Um, I guess a piece of advice would be okay in the last three minutes, eh? Um, again, from John Mueller, and I mentioned this this piece earlier. Um, you want to know what Google thinks is good content? Then read the book that Google wrote on it, the um, <laughs> Webmaster Quality uh, Reviewing Quality Rater Guidelines. Um, yeah, it's kind of a book that Google wrote on what they think is good content. So you want to know mm -hmm. what they think? They wrote the book on it. <laughs> um, have you actually have you have you read the updated um, the versions? Um, I haven't read the updated one. I read the last one, not the current one. Um, I have read reviews or rec you know what's sort of in it, but yeah, I haven't. And it's one of those yeah. things I keep wanting to do because it's just a good practice. Like you just should. <laughs> read it this is this is what they're saying here's what quality is that's what google's saying this is this is valuable insight to have but uh, how about you have you had a chance to read it yet um I, I, yeah yeah i did actually uh john Slag tends to publish them the moment they come out and so um i tend to take a look at it to see if there's anything in there that i hadn't that's changed or hadn't seen or um that we can talk about on the show or whatever um right. and uh i gotta tell you it's a lot like university textbooks 
you know how they like update university textbooks with like three or four new sentences every year to force like the entire class to buy the new textbook? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That's what that's what Google does when they get with the guidelines. I, there's a couple new sentences there, but I mean, they sometimes you don't change once in a while because Google's been doing this for like 20 years now and mm-hmm. has a pretty good handle on what it thinks is, you know, useful and not so useful content. Um, yeah. Oh, we gotta go. Oh, yeah. oh, oh no, we're being told we got okay. Friends, we're being told it's time to go. So it's time to go here on Webcology. Full time, got on the entire clock. On behalf of Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing, it's Jim Hatch from Digital Always Media. You've been listening to Webcology on WebmasterRadio.fm on the 13th of September, 2018. Winter is coming, friends. But then again, so is a new Game of Thrones series, so or season. So it's kind of a trade off here. Um, <laughs> okay, have a great week. Be safe. We will talk to you next week. The opinions expressed on this program, those of the guests and hosts, and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.